Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Today, we'll be discussing topics including how to cope with excessive Facebook photos of your partner's ex, I'm sure we've all been there, how to mourn a racist in-law's death, and how to have a cute summer romance in Italy. Here to help me out is Tia Williams, the New York Times best-selling author of six novels, including The Accidental Diva, Seven Days in June, and The Perfect Find, which was adapted to a Netflix film starring Gabrielle Union. I watched it. It's really cute and really good. You should check it out. She's also the sister of one of my good friends and favorite people, Lauren Williams. Hey, Tia. Hi. So great to meet you. So great to meet you, too. Like I told you um, when we asked you to come on the show, I feel like I already know you because I'm friends with your sister. And in fact, (laughs) I've told her, I wish I could get your parents on the show to give advice. Oh, my God. They'd be so good. And they're very opinionated. And well, also your family is the opposite of a Dear Prudence letter. Like to right. have <laughs> three sisters who are like healthy, happy, successful, like each other and like their parents aren't yeah. like battling over some insane issue. That's actually really impressive. And I kind of want to know like how they made that happen. I want to know too. I, yeah. I want to know for, for like my little family, how to, you know, make it work the way that they have. I mean, they're currently on a cruise just living, laughing, and loving. They're so much fun. I just really, really like them. Since we don't have your mom right now, I'm going to ask you for um, one piece of unsolicited advice. Anything that you just wish people in the world would know and you would like to get off your chest? Therapy. Therapy. Everyone should go. Even if you think you don't need it, go. Yeah. I feel like the stigma has lifted a lot, but people still think of therapy as just like, quote unquote, someone to talk to. Mm -hmm. So I think some people believe that, oh, if I have people to talk to, if I have friends and family, I don't need a therapist. It's, but it's more than that, right? Yeah, it's much more than that. And sometimes you figure things out just talking to someone that you don't know, that you haven't grown up with, that you're not in love with, that isn't a friend, you know, just so, some impartial person. You learn so much about yourself. And I just keep seeing more and more like people taking their past traumas and sort of dumping them on the people in their lives, you know, instead of working it out. I mean, I feel like everyone's relationships, platonic, romantic, you know, whatever would be so much better if they just talk out some other stuff. That's a good reminder for me. I need to find a new therapist. I just found a new one. It's hard to find the right fit. But I also think if you're in therapy and you feel as if it's not doing anything for you, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be in therapy. It means you haven't found the right person, right? Exactly. Yeah. Keep looking. Okay. Thanks for the call out. I'm going to do it. (laughs) So Tia and I will be back to answer our first questions after a short break. Can't get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash Prudy Plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, that's slate.com forward slash prudy plus. Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence, and I'm here with Tia Williams. Let's get started with our first letter. It's titled Insecure Idiot. Before we met, my ex fiance, James, dated an online model named Circe. 
They broke up when he confronted her with evidence of her infidelity, and she chose the other guy over him. Soon after that point, James decided he wanted to settle down and have a family. We met online and got engaged a year into our relationship. A few months later, while we were planning our wedding, Cersei began dating James's brother, John, whom he is very close to. I was not comfortable with my fiancé's gorgeous, self-centered, and highly dramatic ex hanging out with us regularly, much less potentially becoming part of the same family, especially since she acted very condescending and dismissive towards me, and she still seemed more into James than John. James admitted that Cersei contacted him and tried to get back together with him right before she got with John. I suspect she regrets letting him go and is only with John A to get closer to James and B to hopefully get a piece of their family wealth. James informed John of this, but John, who is much more socially awkward and has more trouble dating than James, is willing to overlook anything for the sake of her beauty. When I thought about how I'd really feel having Cersei at my wedding and in my life, I realized I would probably never be able to get over my insecurity. This stems from my own less-than-gorgeous looks, for which I was badly bullied as a child, plus several experiences of being cheated on in the past, plus Cersei's actual behavior towards James and me. So I very calmly and undramatically broke off my engagement to James, explaining that the issue was entirely mine. James, however, is having trouble accepting this. He wants very badly to get back together. He says we'll elope to avoid the issue of having Cersei at our wedding, and he promises never to see her socially, just John on his own. If John can't respect that, then James won't see him either. I'm torn because I never intended to manipulate James or cause tension in his relationship with his brother, but I do love and miss him terribly. Should I trust his promises to exclude Cersei from our lives and get back together with him? Or should I trust my own intuition that I won't feel secure or happy as long as Cersei is even on the periphery and tell him no? At least not unless we're both still single when John breaks up with her. Total side note, poor John. Married to this woman who just wants a little bit of the family money and he's the second choice. He's a pawn. Yeah, I, f- I really feel for him, but he didn't write to us. So John, hang in there. I think my biggest thought was the letter writer saying, you know, I realized I would not be able to get up my insecurity. I calmly and undramatically broke off my engagement. I said the issue was entirely mine. This is like exactly the kind of thing I'm always telling people they should do while acknowledging that it's totally not realistic. Like it's very hard when you're in love with someone to be like, you're making me feel unhinged. I'm going to end this because it's not healthy for either of us. It's been nice knowing you, but she did it. She did do it. But the thing is, he's not making her feel unhinged. Mm. She's making herself feel unhinged. Now, I say that, but also Cersei is a demon. We, we see that. She's a menace. <laughs> First of all, coming between two brothers is just, you know, that's like evil behavior. Like, yeah. why would you, you know, you never want to jump in between siblings, you right. know? I can't even get with like dating within a friend group, like a close friend group. Like, how could you do that? There are millions of people on the earth and you're going to jump to like someone who's close with your ex. Why? It's only this family that you know? Come on. So, (laughs) you know, James has done everything to try to make her feel comfortable. You know, let's elope. I never even have to hang out with her, you know, which is not great for him because he wouldn't even see his brother. So like he's trying, but the letter writer, she's spiraling, but it's Mm -hmm. like kind of a hell of her own making. Right. Um, And I feel like she actually did do the right thing because 
if an outsider can cause you to feel that insecure in your relationship, then you need to go and do some thinking. Right. I feel like these issues as far as like bullying due to her appearance Mm -hmm. and being cheated on, they're going to come up even with the next person. Anyone could trigger these feelings. Like you said, Cersei is a demon. But I think a non-demon could bring up these issues um, almost to the same level. Definitely. I mean, when the problem is with yourself, when you're so insecure with yourself, that's always going to live there. Sometimes relationships are a place to heal. No one is 100% evolved ever, I don't think. And it, it doesn't mean that you don't deserve love. But I do think that it has to be in a manageable place. Mm-hmm. You know, your relationship with your fiance or your husband should not be that threatened by an outsider. It just shouldn't. Right. Unless that person is directly coming in between the two of you, you know? Right. And I think she says that Cersei was like rude or condescending or some dismissive or something to her. But I feel like when there's no concrete facts about what happened, like you would have told me if she did something really crazy, right? You would have said it. Yeah. Granted. Okay. She is rude and dismissive. James has offered to never have to put the letter writer in the position of being near her. Let's elope. Let's not hang out. What would you say to James? I definitely think he really loves the letter writer. That's a grand gesture, right? Cutting off this woman, um, even if it's not at all realistic or practical for him not to see his like potential sister-in-law. What would you tell James? I mean, that is a tough position. I also would like to know how close he is to his brother. Mm, good question. Because if they live across the country and it's like a once a year Thanksgiving thing, yeah, that could easily fine. be cut out. But if they're playing golf twice a week, that's different. Yeah, I think that changes everything, like having the context of how close the brothers are. Because if they are close and they live in a town together, or, you know, like you said, they meet up, you know, to shoot hoops twice a week, Mm -hmm. there's no way, even if James is saying, you know, we never have to see her, there's no way that they're never going to see Cers. Right. And it's going to cause a crisis. And it's going to cause a crisis. Yeah. So this is like my deeper, more nitpicky reading. So James was dating an quote unquote online model. What is that? I think that means an Instagram model. An Instagram model. She's she's an influencer, whatever. She's conventionally attractive and like she puts herself out there. And he goes from that to dating a woman who was made fun of for being unattractive. I just don't feel like that's a pattern people follow in life. I don't know what to make of it, but it seems weird to me. Does it seem weird to you? Well, here's the thing do we have an unreliable narrator? I mean, Mm. she's the one that's saying she's unconventionally attractive. Right. How many beautiful, pretty, attractive, cute, adorable women do you know? Oh my God, so true. That think they're unattractive. Right. She probably isn't. Because guys don't jump from an Instagram hottie to, you know, a conventionally unattractive woman. They just don't. Right. It's people made fun of me in eighth grade for having oily skin. Exactly. And I'm yeah. not over it. Yeah. And now I'm like conventionally attractive, but I still have this complex that I was an ugly duckling. And which again, letter writer's issue, which I think would like transfer to any future relationship. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess my bottom line for her is, you know, you said you wouldn't ever feel secure or happy with James. And I think you should listen to yourself. It's mm-hmm. not your fault, like whatever issues, whatever experiences got you here, but the facts are the facts and relationships are supposed to make you happy. And I don't think at this point, um, you you may not be in a great position to feel secure or happy with anyone at this moment, but 
definitely not someone who has Cirrus floating around. Don't get back together. Take a break. (laughs) I hate to say work on yourself. We're all working on ourselves constantly, but you want to get to a point where you feel okay about yourself and a relationship Mm -hmm. will be so much more enjoyable when that happens. In fact, I would say it's impossible to enjoy a relationship until you feel at least okay about yourself. Our next question is titled, Not Grieving Daughter-in-Law. I'm struggling with how to deal with the death of my mother-in-law. My husband and I are a mixed-race couple. She was not okay with that, or me, and made her feelings abundantly clear during the early years of our marriage. We finally cut her off after our first child was born 12 years ago. My husband learned she had terminal cancer and was in hospice a few months ago. He visited her three times without discussing it with me, including the night she died. It's been several weeks and he's clearly grieving. I don't know how to handle it. I feel betrayed watching him grieve for someone who hated me so much. I can't offer him any sympathy or support. He shouldn't have to hide his grief and I shouldn't have to hide my rage. But that is what both of us are attempting to do. How do we move forward from here? So I really struggled with this question because I'm typically very team, cut off all the bigots. They don't love you. You shouldn't love them. Get them out of your life. I was on a flight recently with a white guy who told me his father had gone down the Fox News rabbit hole with all the accompanying racism. And the guy told me his wife was a person of color. And I asked him, well, how's your relationship with your dad? You know, And he said, oh, it's fine. My dad wiped my butt when I was a baby. You know, you can't be mad at someone over politics. And I was thinking, well, I mean, he's a racist. He's racist against your wife. I mean, how is this not an issue? It should be an issue. So I'm typically on the side of make it an issue, have a confrontation, cut people off. But here I'm struggling. I feel like this woman is dying. You're allowed to see her. That's different from inviting her to Thanksgiving and asking her to babysit your children, right? Absolutely. And I fully agree with you. And I hate it when people are like, it's just politics, like as if it's, you know, a Republican Democrat thing. And it's that simple. Like, I don't like George Bush. Like, it's not a it's not about that. We're not there. It's matters of life and death. I mean, I feel like we're tumbling into another Jim Crow era. Like, this is not the time to be like, let's turn a blind eye. We can't do that today. But there is a line when she said, I can't offer him any support or sympathy that I just don't agree with. I mean, this is one of those things when you're married, it's, you know, you learn and it's a tough pill to swallow sometimes that it is not all about you. Mm -hmm. And this woman was not nice to her and is obviously a racist, but that's still your partner's mother. Right. And relationships with our parents are, can be very complicated very, do I love this person? Do I hate this person? Did this person ruin my life? But this person did wipe my ass. Like, you know, and when it comes to matters of, you know, death and dying, I feel like you should be there at least to say goodbye, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that your partner should be expected to, you know, give you the space to do that. But you also have to understand that your wife is not going to share the grief with you. Yeah. I don't read anywhere in this letter that she's like, my husband is asking why I'm not crying. My husband wants me to give the eulogy. Like he's not asking anything of her. 
Mm-hmm. Except, I guess, permission to go see his mother a few last times. The fact that he had to lie about that and sneak off to do it was just really sad for me. Yeah, that's not good. And, you know, there's a lot of things that come up in a marriage where you're like, okay, I have to put my needs and my thoughts to the side because what my partner is experiencing right now is greater than my anger or greater than my being insulted. And a parent dying, I'm sorry, I think that is greater than you harboring ill will. I really do. No matter how righteous your anger is, Totally. I think you can kind of tease these things apart in terms Mm -hmm. of your feelings about this outside person and like the human experience that is happening and find some compassion for that. Absolutely. So I guess I would say to the letter writer, like, you don't have to grieve this woman. No one asked you to grieve her at all. You can be kind to your husband who is losing a parent. You can say, I'm sad for you that the person who raised you is dying and it's hard and complicated. And I think that's enough. And I think giving him the space to go visit her without having to lie about it would be enough. No one is asking you to put on an act or pretend that she was someone who she wasn't. Like, just regular human kindness, I think, will get us through this period. Agreed. You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show, and when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, Tia, to answer your letters, and the next one is titled, Feeling Like a Virtual Third Wheel. I have been dating this lovely man for eight months. When we first started dating, I was going through a divorce, finalized last month, and he was six months out of a five-year on-again, off-again relationship. I feel I have given him ample space to work through any potential lingering feelings for his ex and felt pretty good about myself, not being that desperate, clingy, insecure girlfriend who is obsessed with my partner's past. After all, we all have one, right? Well, things seemed great until I started noticing little things he'd bring up about his ex, and it was happening every time we were together. Once, he bought a Diet Pepsi in a can, then proceeded to tell me a story about the time his ex turned him on to Diet Pepsi in a can versus Diet Soda in a bottle, I guess? His ex's kids are friends with hers, so there is still contact between the two of them pretty regularly. All of this is annoying, but I've handled it with grace and dignity. Until the other day when I finally had my fill of the ex. She and I are friends on Facebook. She sent me a friend request long before I even met my partner and never felt I should unfriend her simply because I'm dating her ex. But Prudy, she posts selfies all day. Every day. Stories and memories, many of them including my partner. I feel like she's trying to get his attention. They're also FB friends. If I go to photos of you on my partner's Facebook page, nearly every single photo is of the two of them. I'm talking about hundreds of photos. It feels like a punch to the face. He has one photo of me. The other day I went to my partner's house and he wasn't there. I found out from his son that he was at his ex's delivering PJs to his daughter who wanted to spend the night at her house. My kids and I waited 45 minutes before I sent him a text stating we were leaving. That's when he pulled up. I told him how I felt as calmly as I could, and he got really defensive, saying we weren't going to spend any more time erasing memories, and pointed out the photos I have of my ex-husband. There are a few, if you take the time to scroll down to 2017, 
He also stated that social media isn't a place to gauge a relationship. That's an obvious conclusion, and I'm not asking him to post hundreds of photos of me to prove his love for me. Maybe just untag himself in a few hundred photos of him and his ex, or save them to his phone? I felt like a crazy, insecure nut job by the end of the conversation, where he wasn't willing to make any concessions. He did tell me that he chooses me, and that I should focus on my family and consider our relationship a bonus feature, so to speak. Three months ago, he wanted to build a future with me, and now we're a bonus in each other's lives? Doesn't exactly sound like a step up in the relationship. Prudence, it is embarrassing when my friends and family take note of his FB page and question me about all these photos he has. Some people even think he's cheating on her with me because there is zero indication on social media that they've broken up. Help, am I wrong to feel insecure about this? So I'm concerned about a few things and in order they are number one, the focus on your family. This relationship is just a bonus statement. Problematic. We'll go back to that. Number two, the long pajama drop off. Just curious what was going on. Number three, the random mention of how she taught him to drink Pepsi. We all know how, when you have like a crush on someone, you just mention them in random contexts and can't stop bringing them up. So put a pin in that. And then honestly, number four is the photos. I just feel like at this point, like it's tricky because we're at the end of an era where people posted everything on Facebook. So there's naturally going to be more pictures of someone from your past than someone from your present. That's what I was going to say about the Facebook thing. So I've been married twice Mm -hmm. and I was married in the height of the Facebook Mm -hmm. era. And so there's pictures of me and and my daughter's father, my ex-husband. I never felt the need to change that because our circumstances changed. It was just Mm -hmm. a part of our history. Neither one of us has ever. And like you said, you know, in the past three, four, five years, we don't post that much on Facebook, you know, our generation really. And so I barely have any pictures of my husband. Now, that being said, this guy is still into his ex. Yes. And may even still be dating her. Like he's treating the letter writer like the other woman. Totally. It's almost that very cliched thing. When someone shows you who they are, believe Mm -hmm. them. That's what he's doing. Listen, when you are in a functioning, loving relationship, your partner is going to want to do everything to make you comfortable, Mm -hmm. to make you feel seen and heard and validated. When the relationship is real and functioning the way it's supposed to, you don't question all this stuff. Right. You're not counting Facebook pictures and likes and everything else. You're not counting Facebook pictures. You're not worried, honestly, about your ex dropping pajamas off, you know, at the ex's house because the kids are friends and you know her and it's all functioning and healthy Mm -hmm. and everybody knows what's up. But that's not what's happening here. Not at all. He was there far too long. Yep. He told her to focus on her family. Like, I mean, that's my number one. That's what I can't get over. He's basically like, you know, go get a hobby. <laughs> is right. he not? He Can is. you find something to fill your time? Because this Please. relationship is, is not going to be it. Yeah. Because, yeah, I'm not going to be that for you. Listen to the words the man is telling you. And... If you need more information, I think a good sort of opening for that conversation would be to ask him, what kind of 
divorced relationship do you plan to have? What do you think it's going to look like? How do you envision this looking in terms of like your emotional connection, your physical contact, um, your communication? And I guarantee you, he's going to say something like, well, we have kids. I'm going to spend a lot of time with her and I'm going to pick up the phone every time she calls. And yeah, she's my first priority. And he might throw in something like, we don't get along. It's just for the kids. But like, you need to listen to what he's telling you about how every day is going to look because it's not good. Mm-mm. No. And that sort of like, I've been there, that like lingering feeling like in your stomach, like I'm not first, I'm second, yeah, or maybe fifth, you know, and you have to listen to that. Totally. And the letter writer's statement, I felt pretty good about myself not being that desperate, clingy, insecure girlfriend who's obsessed with my partner's past. Like, when you're at the moment when you're actively trying not to identify as that person, you're kind of already in a bad place, you know? Yeah. Like, I've definitely been there before, too. It's like, I'm really not being clingy. I'm not being jealous. I really have not at all been, like, a controlling person. And it's because if you were paying attention to the facts, you would be. Like, you that's your be. that's your default in this situation because it makes sense based on what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, and the thing I wish I could have told myself 10, 20 years ago about dating, like, life is hard enough. If a relationship is making you feel like an insane person, mm-hmm. if you're questioning every move this guy makes, this ain't it. Why right. make your life more complicated? It's supposed to feel good. You're supposed to feel held emotionally, spiritually, astrologically. Like you're supposed yeah. to feel safe. And she doesn't feel safe here. Right. And so I guess to answer the direct question, am I wrong to feel insecure about this? No. Like insecurity no. is painted as a bad feeling. But in some situations, when someone's not giving you the actual concrete stuff you need to feel secure, it is appropriate. And it is here. So feel insecure, but just as a note, that doesn't mean you bully him into like shorter pajama drop-offs and editing Facebook. It means that you move on to someone who makes you feel good. This is Dear Prudence. We need to take a break, but when we come back, more letters from you and advice from us. Stay tuned. I'm Janae, and you're listening to Dear Prudence. Tia and I are about to tackle our last question for the day. Tia, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Okay, good, because I picked this one hoping that you would answer it entirely. The letter is titled, Ciao for Now. I'm a 30-something grad student in a foreign language program away from my home campus for the summer. I have made many friends of all ages and have had a wonderful learning experience so far. However, because of the pandemic and generally being a grad student who worked and waited a few years before pursuing my PhD, I'm older than most of the people in my home and summer programs. I am craving the excitement of a summer romance and romance generally and have developed a crush on a very cute staff member, not a professor, who was in his mid-20s. After getting broken up with at the top of the year, I yearn to fall in love or at least in a cute romance, but am a bit rusty with flirting, especially given I historically have tended to date men who are older than me. We are all also required to speak the foreign language we are learning, and I'm not yet an expert. Do you have any advice? for how this early 30s cutie can spark up some heat, potentially with a younger man, and enjoy herself for the rest of the season. 
So as someone who's written fiction about love and romance, I just thought you might have some cute ideas here. Yes. I think the most obvious one is, can you help me with the language? She could just say, you know, I'm having such a great time. You know, I'm, I'm loving what I'm studying. I'm loving living here. But my big thing is that I'm just not conversational yet in the language. Mm-hmm. And so I really want to get some practice instead of like studying language in an academic way. Do you want to meet me for coffee? I can picture um, it happening already at a little coffee yeah. shop. Yeah. Or like a drink. Yeah. Yeah. Or show me around town. Show me know. around town. Mm-hmm. I want to do some tourist destinations. Zooming out a little, do you think you can just decide to have an exciting summer romance? Or does it just kind of have to happen organically? Oh, no, you can decide. You can decide. Okay. Because I was definitely feeling like, I don't know. I don't know if you can just like intentionally make like a meet cute or a start dating cute happen. It just feels like when it happens, it's always unexpected. Oh no, you can make any of this happen. We are so much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. Honestly, you absolutely can wake up and be like, this is going to be the best summer of my life. Or, you know, make a list like this summer, I'm going to have a one night stand, you know, this summer, I'm gonna try a food I've never tried before, you know, and go down the list and do those things. Especially because she already has her target. She has the person. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot harder when you don't have that. Though I do know girls that have been like, you know, I'm moving to Greece for a month and, you know, with the wind and Tinder on my back. And then they mm-hmm. <laughs> they will find people, you know, in a safe way. But like, yeah, it is absolutely within her power to have a fabulous summer with this guy. And guys his age love a slightly older or much older woman being like, come over here. I was going to ask you about that. So it's a mid-30s woman, mid-20s man. It made me think about The Perfect Fine because it's like a little bit less than the gap between Gabrielle Union's Mm -hmm. character and her guy, Eric. So do you find that gap like normal, anywhere verging on creepy or weird, healthy, fun, good? I think it's healthy and fun for both the, the guy and the woman. And, you know, if you think about it, like, think of your male friends. Mm -hmm. Most of them, if you ask them, had an experience with an older woman, Mm -hmm. you know, in their early 20s, or, you know, that really shaped them. Oh, my God, my husband and I talked about this on a Slate Plus segment, I learned live on the podcast that he had one of these experiences I never knew about until it came up in a question. Yeah, they most guys do. And they look back at it fondly. And it's exciting for the older woman. There's something so intoxicating about having a younger guy hang on your every word, be fascinated Mm -hmm. by your womanhood, be thrilled by how comfortable you are with your sexuality versus a 25 year old or a 21 year old, because we do get more comfortable as we get older. And that's exciting for them. And it's exciting for you. Okay, so letter writer Tia thinks you can make this happen. The answer is ask for language lessons. Mm-hmm. Plan B, tell him that you would like to have a fun summer romance and just put your cards on the table and he'll probably jump at the opportunity. Report back to us. I want to hear how this goes. Sounds fun. Okay. Those are all the questions we have for this week. It's been fun and hopefully helpful. Thank you, Tia. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Go watch the film adaptation of Tia's best-selling novel, The Perfect Find, on Netflix, starring Gabrielle Union. You can also pre-order her upcoming novel, A Love Song for Ricky Wilde, out next year. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. 
go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P-R-U-D-I-E. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday. If you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we are looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous. Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Rex with a special thanks to Maura Curry. Editorial help from Paola de Verona. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. I'm your dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time.